1: Hey guys, we're back with Pete Singer with the rest of his journey with grace and his experience with spiritual abuse. We Have we touched on legalism? Because I think I legalism inside the church or would you say that's covered under fundamentalism
2: um i think fundamentalists are are who are most notably identified as legalistic but i think that there's legalism on on all sides um and it might just take a different a different version and a different appearance And so even if a church is not overtly legalistic, there might be subtle legalism. There might be subtle demands, subtle requirements that we don't necessarily always recognize or see as legalism. Um, and, And I think that really, so this is key to how we try and approach things with grace you can address abuse by trying to make sure you've checked off all the boxes. Or you can try and address it by having this be about our culture and our identity and who we are. Whether we're talking about salvation, whether we're talking about um, how to live out a godly life, When it is about checking the right boxes, we're at risk of legalism. But when it becomes about our identity and who we are in Christ, that begins to form a safeguard against that legalism. And that's so important because... All right, so in the church that I grew up in, we had legalism, for example around the idea of going to see movies. You could not go see movies. But culture changes. And our legalism struggles to keep up with culture. When I was a kid, many, many years ago, we got this new technology, the VCR. And our legalism of not going to see a movie had not caught up with the new technology yet. And so, now, as a kid, I remember thinking, why is it okay to go see a movie? Or why is it not okay to go see a movie, but why is it okay to rent a video? Our legalism hadn't caught up to the culture. When it's about checking the box, the box that needs to be checked is going to change. But when it's about who we are, when it's about our very culture, then we have a framework to address those changes real time for real reasons, rather than just because that's the rule.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I mean, and I guess that goes also with omnipotence, with, you know, cheap grace as well, because you're trying to find that balance, and the only way to find that balance is with your identity in Christ. Um, what is one thing that you pray for that you want the most for churches?
2: I think what I want to see in churches is a recognition that this is about that identity in Christ that we were just talking about, that it's not a side issue but that it is absolutely central to who Jesus is it is central to all that Jesus taught it is central to teachings of scripture from Genesis all the way through Revelation I want to see churches know that there I was talking with a pastor who was doing a study or not a pastor but a professor who was doing a study on trauma-informed principles in Sunday school programs and what he noted was that there were a number of churches who had never been told what SAMHSA's six principles of trauma-informed practice are, who had never been told um, what SAMHSA's four R's are of trauma-informed practice, who'd never been told about the sanctuary model of trauma-informed practice, or anything about trauma-informed practice. But when he went to look at their Sunday school ministries, every single one of them was being hit. Already. Why? Because it was about who they were. And there was an education component to it. But it was already who they were. And so they were already doing it. And what I would love to see in the church is for there to be a recognition that this is who we are, and for it to just be what we do because it's who we are.
1: That's that's very important because I think a lot of people forget that our identity is in Christ and not anything else.
2: And when we forget that we we are very much at risk of finding our identity in something else. And that something else might be power. That something else might be reputation. And now these things start taking priority. I love how Paul writes about Jesus. And he says... In essence, Jesus was in the very form of God. And because he knew that, he didn't have to grasp equality with God. Because he knew who he was in Christ, or not who he was in Christ, but because he knew who he was as Christ, He could set aside all that and make himself of no reputation. And he could humble himself to the very point of death on a cross. But that humility goes all the way back to Jesus knowing who he was. And if we lose sight of who we are, we lose sight of the ability to have that humility and we lose sight of the ability to have that humility, we are at risk of finding our identity in other things. And those things can lead us down a path that hurts and harms.
1: Most definitely. Um, what advice would you give to to ministers today that are dealing with spiritual abuse personally or dealing it or or trying to deal with it to help their congregation?
2: I would say the biggest piece of advice I could give is don't do it alone. It will be too much. Um, the weight if you take this on and you make it a priority, you are going to hear horrific things. And if you don't know yet what you're in for, you will be shocked. You will hear stories that you cannot believe are true. You, um, you can't do this alone. That is number one. And scripture is full of leaders who recognized this and full not just of examples of leaders who recognized they couldn't do it alone but leaders who recognized they couldn't do it alone but by the time they recognized it were at the point of calling out to god as moses called out to god As Elijah called out to God and said, I can't do this anymore, please kill me. So we're not just talking about a little bit of burnout. We're talking about Moses and Elijah doing it alone and ending up suicidal. Moses and Elijah are kind of big figures in the faith. And if it can happen to Moses and Elijah, it can happen to you. And for both Moses and Elijah, when they called out to God and said, I can't do this anymore, please kill me. God's response was, I'm going to give you some people to walk this path with you. So that you're not alone. So don't wait till you're at that point. Surround yourself with people who understand this issue. Surround yourself with people who understand you and can uplift and support you. I would also say keep returning to who you are keep returning to who Jesus is. Because if it again starts to become about the checklist you're going to be at risk. So keep returning to who you are and to who Jesus is. And then the other thing that I would say is to find hope and to rely on hope. When I talk about hope, I am not talking about some pie in the sky type of hope. All right, so like, I live in Minnesota. Um, I really hope that we don't have a cold winter this year. <laughs> uh, I don't think our <laughs> forecast for the winter just changed. I have a feeling that even though I hope we don't have a cold winter, we're going to have a cold winter. That's not the type of hope that I'm talking about. That's wishful thinking. So I'm talking about a grounded hope. A a grounded hope that first rests in two factors. One is way power. The ability to see the goal and believe you can make it. The ability to see the goal and believe that you can make it is reliant very much on understanding who Jesus is and understanding who we are in Christ. That helps inform and helps us to see what the goal is because the goal is that we're his bride and that we are acting as such. So there's way power, the ability to see the goal and believe you can make it, and then there's willpower the ability to stay on the path towards the goal even when that path is hard because the path will be hard and as you embark on this pathway as you embark on this journey of hope I would encourage that pastor to to draw on that pastor or that leader because it doesn't just have to be a pastor. Anyone who is in this work to draw on four key beliefs of hope. One, it actually can be better. Victor V has written this work and it blows me away every time I think of it It's called Unto the Third Generation. And it's a call to end child abuse. Not not just reduce child abuse, but end child abuse. He's laid out a 120-year plan, which is why it's called Unto the Third Generation, it's very long term but he believes that the future can and will be better and the next step is to realize not just that the future can and will be better but that I have a role in making it better it's not just I hope the leadership of my denomination does something It's what am I going to do to make it better. We've seen too many times that if we wait for the leadership of our denomination, that's not going to happen. We have seen some instances where the leadership of the denomination actually does do incredibly good work. But so frequently we have seen waiting for somebody else, even the leadership of our denomination or the leadership of an individual church is not going to get us there. So what can I do? What's my role in making it better? The third belief of hope is that there are many paths to the goal. When I got done with high school and I entered college, I knew that God's calling on my life was to address... To, to help people who had been hurt and to address some of the causes of hurt. And, and so knowing that that was God's call on my life, I entered a pre-med, pre-med program. And my sophomore year of college, when I came back as an elementary education major that was still the call that God had on my life because my goal hadn't changed but I was on a different path to the same goal I then took a few years off of college as my wife finished her degree and then I returned for my degree as a psychology major the goal was still the same even though my path had changed And then, after I completed my undergrad work in psychology, I completed my master's in social work. The path might change, but that doesn't mean that the goal has changed. And then, the final belief of hope, which seems almost counterintuitive to hope, is that every single one of those paths is going to be filled with obstacles there will be no easy path. There will be no cakewalk. And that's important to recognize because if we don't recognize that when we encounter obstacles on the path, if we were thinking, well, if I'm on the right path, it'll be easy, then we leave the path and we can lose sight of the goal. So those are the four key beliefs I would really encourage um, people who are in this work, whether you're a pastor, whether you're not a pastor, uh, to consider this work, to consider those beliefs as you move forward and hope.
1: Um, How, as Christians, do we rebuild trust with those that have been abused by the church?
2: Um. I've actually really been thinking a lot about this. Um, And what I've really come to believe is that our goal is not to rebuild trust. Our goal is to act in a way that is worthy of trust just because that's what we're called to do just because that's what we need to do. And I'm not doing it so that I can get you to trust me. I'm just doing it because that's what I'm called to do. And the onus is on me to act in a way that is worthy of trust. The onus is not on you to trust me. And so, what does it look like? Part of it, I can look in Scripture for what it looks like. I look and I see Joseph's brothers. I see Joseph's brothers come before their father. And do you know what? They never told him Joseph was killed by an animal. All they did was set down the cloak in front of him and then kept their mouths shut. That's not trustworthy. It's not trustworthy to let people see a certain piece of information and then keep your mouth shut as they misinterpret it. That's not trustworthy. It is not trustworthy to share information in a way that nobody can understand. Whether it's because we've used such academic language that it's incomprehensible. Whether it's that we've used such spiritual language that it's incomprehensible. Whether it's because we present the information in a language that the people who are supposed to be reading it don't understand. We might as well be doing, and I've seen signs like this. Signs in English saying that if you need a Spanish interpreter, call this number. I've seen visual signs that say, if you can't see and need a braille menu let us know i mean this is not this is not trustworthy we are seriously we are communicating in a way that people will not understand and that we know they won't and this is not trustworthy and it's also When? When do we communicate? Do we communicate only after we've been given the notice from the attorney? Do we communicate only after we learn that the person's posted it on social media? Do we communicate only after we've learned that Christianity today is going to run a story or do we communicate when people need to know the information do we act in a way that is trust worthy because we also show trust Do we act in a way that is trustworthy because we don't misuse Scripture for our own benefit? And I talked to... My kids are all grown now, which is really weird. But, But I talked with my kids frequently about this. It's not just what you try to do. It's what you try not to do. It's not just that you don't try and misuse Scripture. It's that you try not to misuse Scripture. It is a conscious effort because it is so easy to fall into a trap unknowingly and to slowly slide into it And then you don't realize it until somebody calls you on it and you're like, oh my gosh, how did I get here? Or at that point, you're so entrenched in it that now you have to defend yourself for misusing the scripture. And so acting in a trustworthy manner requires conscious effort to not be untrustworthy. So those are just some of my thoughts on trustworthiness that it's not about rebuilding trust I hope that people eventually can trust the church more but whether they do or not I need to be acting in a way that is worthy of trust
1: I think we could all learn from that because that can be challenging to do and I think it takes a lot of integrity which I think a lot of us struggle with and knowing wisdom with trustworthiness which is can be challenging yeah, yeah. at times All right, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, Pete's going to be back next week. Always follow us on your favorite platform for social media or on podcast. And if you have any questions or want to reach out or learn more about Rachel and Recovery, always go to rachelandrecovery.com. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week at 10 a.m. on Thursday.
0: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently.